Guys, welcome back to the Jen Hatmaker Book Club podcast. And if you're listening to this on our regular For the Love podcast feed, welcome. This is a sneak peek into all the incredible fun we have behind the scenes at the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, which you can join at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. And you should. Like, oh my gosh, you should. It is my favorite thing. So this month's book has been an over-the-top experience for all of us. We read No Happy Endings by Nora McInerney. It has just resonated from top to bottom in our community. So Nora makes a living talking to people about life's hardest moments, right? And she speaks from experience. She, she lost her second baby, her father, and her young husband over the course of six weeks when she was 31 years old. And so over these years, she has built a really impressive body of work. She's the best-selling author of two memoirs, No Happy Endings, which, of course, we devoured this month. And It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too. Nora is also the host of an award-winning podcast called Terrible, Thanks for Asking. It's so good, you guys. Immediately download that podcast. She's also the founder of a nonprofit called Still Kickin'. And after reading this book, I'm sure you're not surprised to know that Nora writes for all kinds of outlets, Elle, Time, Slate, Vox. She's such a good writer. She's a writer's writer. And she does there what she does best. She writes about emotion and humor. She's so funny, wicked funny, inside very complex topics. And so I know that you'll agree that she is a master storyteller who brings heart and sincerity and transparency and even levity to the most difficult and uncomfortable conversations that most of us spend our lives trying to avoid. She is a leader. She's a mentor. She is a reliable and a trustworthy guide through our own suffering and grief and loss. You are going to love this conversation. This girl is, she is worth all her salt. I'm so pleased to share this conversation with author extraordinaire and my friend, Nora McInerney. Well, I am super happy to be looking at your face and talking to your voice and your mouth in your closet. I can see the clothes and I'm so happy. Thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here on my dead husband's birthday. Today? It really is, Nora. Today. Yeah, he's 41 in a way. Actually, he's forever 35. Uh Um, Wow. Yeah. How does that feel? Like, how does that feel? I always know this day is coming. Obviously, like I have a calendar. I'm not a total fool. But like your body knows certain days are coming too. So this time of year and November, I like get a little like emotionally congested. I had a nice conversation with some of my friends a week ago and I sobbed hysterically over who knows what even. I just like, I got to get it out. I got to get it out. Some low hanging trigger point. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you doing okay? I was like, oh, obviously. Thank you. Thank you for checking in. <laughs> I've shifted from like reserving all of these days for sadness into reserving these days for for like a celebration. And Aaron loved his birthday. He called it Aaron Fest. He threw <laughs> these he made t-shirts. Wow. He like, Whoa. He made, he threw these giant parties up at his grandfather's land in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota and would throw these parties for days for his friends. For Are his you serious? So, I love that. And I went, I went to one that was like before he got brain cancer and it was too much for me. I literally sat inside the cabin and read books because I was like, I'm not used to whatever this is. And it's, it's too much. Just like the sensory Um, overload, the constant bro time. Constant, Uh constant. It was like constant music. They're like, Oh, we found these old, you know, tools in the shed. Let's go. Just like bizarre. We we found a four wheeler. Let's go ride it. I'm like, we are drunk. No, we are not doing that. It was just a lot, a lot of stuff happening all at once. And so our Aaron Fest this year is all the kids, all my kids from my, my two marriages, my niece and nephew, Aaron's sister. We finally live near her. They're coming over. We're getting Taco Bell. Yes, lady. And Taco Bell has a new treat, which he loved Mountain Dew. They have a, a Mountain Dew slushy. Now. Okay. Well, 
it, you got to try it, folks. You got to try it. So that's what we're doing. Thank you so much for telling me that. I'm just learning. I have always, and I'm still in this current moment, learning a lot from you about how to live, like how to live and how grief is a part of the thing, not just to be like put on a shelf and put a lid on and that it can even be beautiful in a way that we didn't have have imagination for. You don't write this script that you have. That's a, didn't expect it. And here you are like living beautifully. It's really something. And this has been the absolute through line this month in our book club, as we've all read your book, is this constant refrain from our community. Like, wow, I am like, number one, learning so much about how to feel, how to grieve, how to name it, how to be kind and generous to my own self. I bring with me a whole bucket, a million buckets of women that said, please tell Nora, thank you so much just for your transparency, for your, it feels like you didn't leave anything out. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think it's all in there. It's all in there. Yeah. All the parts of the story that were mine to tell. Yep. Are in there. And some of it is not. Uh, And those are things that I will, I will tell people when they ask me personally, (laughs) but I think a lot of the transition between the first and the second book was also learning what parts of this experience were mine and what parts of the experience I had decided were mine that were not. Well, that's a special wisdom right there. And you, you'll get that in time. You will get that in time because the first part of it lasts forever. Grief is forever. Grieving is a period of time and you will revisit it. Grief is just like a little, it's a little thing you carry around with you. It's like a little, a little bit of you. And for a long time, it feels like it is going to be your story, period. That's it. Like you will be this, I will be the girl whose whose husband died and he died of brain cancer. And wasn't that so sad? And isn't it so sad about Aaron? And Aaron's death is a part of his story. It is not his entire story. And that that grief, that experience, that is a part of my story forever. I will I will hold on to it. I will defend it with my life. I will, no one will claw it from me. And like there is so much more. To, to that story and to like my story in general. We are all still here. We are all still living it. And the process of figuring out what something means, we have this, sorry, and I'm just going in, but like- I want you to. If, if your listeners are on Instagram, and I have a feeling they might be, you are inundated with this. Everybody knows toxic positivity. Google it. Psychology Today has a great article about it, but we are conditioning one another to believe that- the silver lining is is the first part you should see when really you got to stand in it for a while, for a while. Okay. Everybody wants to tell you to have some perspective. By that, they mean, please have my perspective where, totally. where I can look around the world and see like, well, yeah, this bad thing happened to you, but, but at least, or just those, nothing good ever came after the words, at least nothing, totally nothing, nothing. No one was ever comforted by a sentence that started with at least like at least you know you can get pregnant oh great thank you that's so helpful as I bury my baby thank you thank you thank you like you know just these things like people want to get to that positive side they want you to get to that positive side because they are so uncomfortable with your discomfort and it's so dehumanizing and all we need is for somebody to be like hey Jen this is as bad as you think it is totally Yep. Maybe even worse. (laughs) And you deserve every single ounce of the feelings that you are feeling for as long as you want to feel them. For as long as you want to feel them. And it will not always feel like this hot of a knife wedged in between your ribs, but right now it does. Right now it does. So you are welcome to everybody. Thank you to everybody who read this book. Frankly, I think sometimes people see a book and they're like, well, you know, but my husband's not dead. It's like, ah, but you, everybody in the world knows what it is like, or you will know eventually, because I'm fun, what what it's like for your entire life to fall apart. Right. I told you, I told you yesterday, I'm like, I can deeply identify with your story. Not in the same ways. Like it's not, I'm not a carbon copy of your story, but the, the threads of grief, loss, catastrophe, a narrative that unravels without your permission, all of it. I'm like, 
hell, there, I don't know a woman at my age that has not already crossed this bridge in some way, big or small. And I always just tell people, if that's not any, if you've never experienced loss that cuts your heart out, just live longer, you know, just, you will, you will. And so like no happy endings is not just a roadmap through losing your young husband to cancer. Those are the details around your story, but all this incredible wisdom that you embedded is serving everybody that has read it. It's interesting how you sat down and started the thing. You open the book and you, you slip us right away. I mean, we just don't even get a second. Like we're not going to warm up the engine right at the beginning. You were like, happiness doesn't negate sadness and we're allowed to be happy even in the middle of like literally unthinkable grief. So you're holding this paradox from the first page essentially. So I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, Nora, when you sat down to your laptop and you were like, this is a big and a hard story to talk about and tell. How did you start there? How did you know where to start? I always, for some reason, before I start a project, I can always tell you where it's going to begin and I can always tell you where it's going to end. But this is why I'm terrible in pitch meetings. I can't tell you what the book will be about. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Here are the bookends. Like, Use your imagination. Yeah. I'm like, we're here and we're there. And in the middle, we got to live it. But I, I, I'm pretty sure this is what it's about. And all of my best writing comes from a place of anger. It always comes from anger. I know that is not inspiring to most people, but it's always a reaction to something. So my TED Talk, that is an act of passive aggression. I'm from Minnesota. That sure. You're, it's a subtweet. It is, it is a subtweet to the masses, to everybody in the Western world who watches somebody go through something difficult, go through grief, and then it's like, okay, but like, taps watch, uh, can we be done with this? Like, why is this still a thing? Mm. And I watched myself go through that. And more importantly, I watched other people come to me and say, well, I wish after I'd published my first book, I'm just not doing as well as you are. And I thought, why do you think I'm doing well? And then I realized, oh, it's because you see that I've met somebody and you see that we each had children and we are one of like those lucky few people whose family like didn't even need to blend. It just was the, it just was, it just was a thing right away. And so you think that it must be over for me and I have some secret to tell you. And all I can tell you is that the first part of me falling in love with Matthew was me falling apart for the first time was me having a place where I could be at rest emotionally, which I had not had for a very, very long time. And at the time that I wrote this book, I think I had maybe like 50,000 Instagram followers. The podcast had started, was taking off, but I had started to get some nastiness that I knew was underlying a larger attitude that I saw coming through in our group, the Hot Young Widows Club with a lot of widows where people will be like, oh, everybody is telling me that either I should, no, have moved on, false, or everybody is telling me that when when my grief is expressed that I'm faking it because look at all the other things that are good in my life. Oh, that's cruel. You know, that it's somehow my grief has expired. It's so cruel. People are so cruel, but I've seen this same resistance as an observer on the internet where there's some, I, I don't know her name, there's some, you know, influencer and her child died and then she's, you know, doing something and people are like, well, why are you doing this? Like, I thought your baby, I thought you were sad about your baby dying. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I guarantee you she is. Okay. I don't, like, I don't need to see her grief passport to know that she is, is still very much aching over that. And like, the world keeps spinning. She's still got to live for these other children. She's still got to do her job. And also she wants to, she wants to be a part of the living world. And I had resisted falling in love with Matthew. Not well, I'm not that strong, but I had resisted people knowing about it. And I had spent that first book tour pregnant uh, secretly not just out of shame, but out of fear that like I could not possibly have another good thing happen to me because it would be taken. And so the best way to live life would be like, oh, I'll just stay at a three excitement level at all times. And therefore, it, when you hit a one, 
or a negative one, that's not that far to fall. You get to a mm. 10 high risk. I see what you're saying. Risk yeah. of spinal cord injury. You don't want to do that. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I knew that the thread of the book was going to be about the fact that things are as good as they look. They really are. Matthew's extremely handsome. He's so kind. The children he brought to this marriage, beautiful, loving humans. This this other baby we have, TBD. Honestly, he's four. <laughs> we'll see. The, like, the jury's out on him. We'll, the jury's yeah. out. He's got that. He's got that youngest child syndrome where you're like, you could be great or you could be borderline <laughs> evil because you we you are too adored. Totally. You are too. Adored. You are overloved. Okay, it's, you are overloved. A monster. Okay, and. It is also like all of our children, minus that baby, maybe that's his problem, come from a traumatic environment. The older kids, like they lost a family. They lost they lost a life that they were not comfortable in, but that was very normal to them. Ralph lost a dad that he didn't even get to know. Matthew lost his entire life, everything that he that he thought was his, gone, gone. And same with me. And so those are not things that are erased by the fact that we found each other. Those are things that like, they show up in our marriage. They show up in raising these kids. And I also, and, and you're so good at this in your own writing. It's like, we have to make sure this is clear because our kids are watching. Our kids are watching. And I never saw my mom fall apart because honestly, she didn't have the time. And it was the go-go 80. You know, it's like her brother died when I was in eighth grade. I saw her cry at the funeral and then she held it together. And that's how she was raised by the greatest generation, which I have a bone to pick with that name. Okay. They were, they were a generation. They were fine. Okay. Yeah. They were, they were okay. They were okay. Did they, did they raise like emotionally competent children? Heavens no. No. Yeah. Good point. No, 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 no. So that's where I sat down. I sat down and in a place of reactiveness, I wrote that whole chapter. Mm. I I love it because I find grief and loss and suffering and recovery poorly discussed in general, poorly managed. You mentioned earlier, we're just not good. We have no home training on how to sit with other people's pain. We're just terrible at it. We just want to hustle everybody through. I feel that instinct in my own self and I know better. And so the honesty is like, both breathtaking and refreshing. One of the best things I've ever done for myself is going to therapy. I'm in it now. It has revolutionized the way I think about myself, my place in the world, and my relationships. And listen, you can learn about yourself and transform your life with BetterHelp Counseling. So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe, and private online environment. You can start communicating with your counselor within 24 hours uh, via text or chat or phone or video. And if it's not a great fit, you can change counselors at no additional cost. And listen, you aren't alone here. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier, more whole life today. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join over a million people taking charge of their mental health. So one more time, that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. You said a minute ago a word that I want to hear you talk about a little bit. The young, hot... Hot Young Widows Club. Oh, there it is. Hot Young Widows. I'm like, hot... Yeah, what was the order? That some of the women kept reporting what they should be doing or feeling or saying. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the shoulds. I'm an achiever. I'm an Enneagram 3. Same. Yeah. I'm capable and I'm smart. And so should has plays a pretty prominent role in my life. And I, it's an enemy of mine. That's just not how life works. It's not, it's not real. It's, it's a fake construct. It's like your dad said, your dad said, it's like we expect the world to care about our own timing because things don't ever work into the should. So can you talk about what role should or should not for that matter, same other side of the coin has played in your life, what you've learned about that and how you fight that demon? Yeah. I'm also a three, also an achiever, also a person who, uh, love to get a gold star 
growing up, love to see the syllabus and be like, okay, great. This is just a roadmap to my personal success and, to, and not just success, but approval. Sweet, Bless sweet it approval. All. Oh, May we get it all oh, at the city gate. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's from a person that I don't even like or respect. Even better. I'll take it. I'll take it. And I'll treasure that even more. Frankly, that seems even more important to me. And raised in the Midwest. And my parents were married when they were 20. Look, their parents, they had two kids by the time they were 25. That's all I know. I can't do that math. And I was a 27-year-old with no savings account when I left New York City and moved home with them, which I thought was like kind of, you know, a mutual decision. They disagreed. That was not their plan. But I felt like I was getting off the plan, right? I was already supposed to be married. You have to be a mom before you're 30. There are all these things that you should do to live a life based on what should is an automatic comparison. So when you are saying that, like one, who, who says you should? And if you say you should, what are you comparing yourself to? Because you're either comparing yourself to somebody else and you're looking over at their paper, which is impossible not to do because you go on Instagram and people are renovating their kitchens and you're like, where did we get that money? Am I supposed to have kitchen money? Is that what I'm supposed to have? Should I have kitchen money right now? Or like their kids are going to like a private school. And yeah, you looked it up. You looked up the tuition. It's $20,000. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Or or they're working, you know, 50 hours a week, but they are also making cupcakes that actually look like minions. And and I've never once done that. I've It's confusing. It's confusing. So even before the internet, like we knew what we should do because like we would look around, we'd see how everybody else was living or our parents imbued that expectation upon us. And then we took that on. We took that on. And most of our shoulds come from, my shoulds at least, come from myself. They come from my inability to focus on staying in my own lane, on accepting my own reality, especially in times of crisis when we say like, well, I guess I should, or Hmm. It's not like, it's not really that bad or like, Oh God. I mean, when you look at this person, you know, really, what am I going through? It robs us of empathy for ourselves. And like Brene Brown has done a beautiful job of drilling into us the need for empathy for other people. And somehow in that whole message, we were like, Oh, just for other people. Like, even as I'm pretty sure she's screaming, like, give it to yourself too. We're like, right, right. Other people, like other people, especially women. We're like, but forget about me. I'm a piece of trash. So that's how I treat myself. That's how I treat myself. Every time I use should, every time I use it on somebody else, like what I am doing is saying, I already have an expectation of where I think you ought to be and you are disappointing me, right? You are not meeting that expectation. And Especially, let's say, you know, you still lived a very, very blessed life, but hi, we're in a pandemic. And right now we are all comparing ourselves against the person we were last year at this time, the person we thought we would be at this time, what we thought we would be doing, what we thought we would have. And now we're like, I don't know, like, will I get another paycheck? (laughs) Are the children going to school? So wiping that from my vocabulary is truly a daily daily process. And to maintain that in myself, I have to, behind this this computer, are reminders of who I actually am and where I actually am. I have like all of these things to remind me like this is this is who I am and where I am. And it's good. It's good. Like it is good. And it does not look like what I thought my life would look like. At all. Like I did, I did not anticipate being a 30, I don't remember how old I am, a 37 year old stepmom on her second marriage, working in a closet because the world fell apart and holy crap, that was uh, not good for the old uh, single family income. (laughs) And, And also like, it's really good. I don't need a new kitchen. We have a functional kitchen. Our, our water runs. It's fine. We're good. Yes. We're good. If I never saw anyone else's kitchen, I'd be like, this is a great kitchen. It's a great kitchen. Great kitchen. So sometimes should sneaks in on like the diet that you feed yourself. You're right. I'm kind of working on that practice right now, that sort of mindfulness embodiment, which is not something that's easy for me at all. 
I live in productivity and externally, largely. And so having to learn to just be like, where am I right this second? Right this minute. Okay, let me just feel. I'm inside this body. I'm, I'm breathing. The heart is beating. Bravo, heart. Yes, like staying kind of present in the moment instead of like helicoptering into everybody else's lives. That's really easy to do. But I appreciate you saying that most of our shoulds come from within. That's my experience too. What am I willing to entertain? What is my mental digestion? What thoughts am I like circling the drain around? And I really, you're right. That's, that's our own work to do, which sucks. Cause I wish we could just put that on somebody else. Stop doing this to me. And then I will be grounded in my own life. But really it's worse than that. That's our own work. Oh, especially it's like, this happens to not just with what people have physically, not just with their physical possessions, but with the way they appear to be living their life. And so I'm like, well, okay, well, I guess I should be, you know, more, more open. I guess I should be, you know, meditating 60 minutes every morning. I guess I should be, and no, or maybe, but it's everybody's like life recipe is so, so, so different. And what you are seeing is a small part of what they are choosing to show you. And you have no idea what their reality is. So it's all, you know, smoke and mirrors, a, a shell game. And like you are doing the best you, you, you can with what you have and also lower your expectations, lower them. That's good. Not for like what you want to, but like what you think you are supposed to That's be good. doing and like how you think you are supposed to be performing in this world. So one thing that, you know, you've talked about a little bit here, but I want you to talk about more is that your experience of loss and suffering, of course, it's its own entity. And then you are then contending with what everybody else's emotions are around you and their response to you. And so you, you talked about how most people, maybe that's a little bit mean, but I think that's true, do not know how to respond to your particular tragedy or they just disappeared altogether. Like maybe you were contagious. Maybe your brand of life was just going to be catching like the flu or they helped badly the shoulds and the silver linings and the how much longer it's over now. Right. Right. Like it's been a minute. So, or you have a new boyfriend. Yeah, so who cares? I wonder what that has done to your like BS meter. What has that done long-term for you in terms of your tolerance for people with the shiny veneer or your tolerance for inauthenticity or your tolerance for tidy narratives? How has that carried through to where you are even right now? Yeah. I distrust a tidy story. I distrust anybody who encourages other people to hustle their way through something or like, you know, it's all about your mindset. It's not your mindset. 90% of the time we live in America, which is a very difficult place for most people where there are stark socioeconomic and racial inequities that actually affect people's lives, that affect your ability to be able to grieve. Grief is the feeling everybody cannot escape. To grieve is still a privilege. To have like access to mental health care, huge privilege. So your level of okayness is impacted, not dependent on, but is impacted on like where you fall on that spectrum of different kinds of privileges. And that was a hard thing even for me to, if you would have told me that like, well, but I mean, think of all your privileges when Aaron died, it would have been like, please F off forever. And now I'm like, now I'm like, oh my God, of course, of right. course. And so Same. I can even look back on some sort of like Instagram post that I had made where I was like, oh, like, you know, look, it's all going to be great. And that was a lie that I was telling myself. It was also a lie that I thought that was the most palatable to other people because I did not want them to pity me. You were probably right on both counts. I was right. And what I was doing was I was contributing to that digital pollution where women were seeing me and being like, oh, well, you ran a half marathon after your husband died. Like, you must be doing great. And it's like, I was running, literally running from my feelings. <laughs> like, like, literally running from my feelings, not processing anything, doing horribly, drinking 
quite a lot. So no, no, but I am most genuinely connected with, I don't believe that you have this responsibility to walk around like bleeding out for everybody that you meet. Mm, okay. That is, that is really not true. good tension to hold. Yes. You do not need to do that. Most like your pain, by the way, is also yours and you get to choose who is a safe place to hold it. So when I talk about terrible things for asking is an aspirational response, by the way, what I had done in that first year was tell everybody that I was fine. And every time I told them that I built a, like a nice little cage for myself. And who did I keep out? I kept out my sister who loves me, who knows me, who wanted to be there. And also I was kept out of her life where she was going through her own stuff. She had lost Aaron too. She loves him. And she was going through her own marriage stuff that I had no idea because I was like, I'm fine. Done. I kept out my brothers who also wanted to be there, who dressed Aaron's dead body, like who put socks on him because I'd forgotten socks. I'd forgotten to lay out socks and they picked out the right socks. Like just, I kept out friends who truly did want to be their lifelong friends because it was so painful for me to see their husbands holding their kids. And I didn't know how to say that. Wow, I didn't know how to say so that. And I honest. thought like, I thought it would break everything. I thought if I let myself feel it, everyone else will feel it and it will be too much. And fine is a fine thing to say to the checkout boy at Target. And I apologize for weeping to only inappropriate people, by the way. Like totally. My, right. My milk carrier, deep apology. So sorry. Wrong guy at the wrong time. Yeah. Wrong guy at the wrong time, handing him a stack of letters that returned to sender. He's dead. Oh. And then just be like, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you know, it's not you. It's not you. It's just the whole, like, he's like, I do need to leave. I do need to. This interaction does need to be over. I regret standing here for any longer. I just love what you're saying right now. Fine is right for a category of people. It is not right for another category of people. Right. Also, it's like, you know, when you're talking to someone, is this safe with you? Is this safe with you? Am I safe with you? And I knew very quickly that there were some people that I was not safe with, but to guard against them, I just boop, put it up for everybody. So I'm thinking about somebody coming over and literally looking down at my child on the floor and saying, heartbreaking. And I was like, I don't want that for him. You can have your heart broken for him, but don't do that like right here in this moment. And I have another theory about, you know, Aaron's life to me was very much the great Gatsby, only he wasn't a faker, but there were a thousand people at our wedding online because we couldn't afford to, couldn't afford to have more than 200 people there. There were a thousand people at his funeral. And in between, there were some people who showed up. Jamie Erickson, I'm talking about you. And afterwards, there were much, much fewer, much, much fewer. And I was keeping score in my mind, like who's here and uh, who isn't and feel differently about that. Now I had a lot of so much anger and feel that anger. We do not let women feel angry and you're angry for a reason and feel it rage out, hit your mattress with a wiffle ball bat old old therapy trick beat yeah, it with your fist totally. like you told me rage until your body is i hope you did it too it's like double fist like and and let your body just hit it as hard as you can i know now that them not showing up really had nothing to do with me and it had everything to do with their own stuff that will that i'll never know about and also that hurt me too much for the relationship to yeah, repair i understand both of that it was too much. So I can look at those people with compassion. And I can also say you were in my life for that part of it. And you did love Aaron and you didn't love me the way I needed you. So here we are. Here we are. And I will wish you well. And I will also, you know, I will control my, my Instagram settings so that I don't see you <laughs> because it hurts so bad to see your name. It hurts so bad to see your name on Aaron's sister's posts or on, on Aaron's mom's posts. But I know it's not about, and maybe it is about me because I was also, by the way, when you are in pain, there's a phrase, hurt people, hurt uh, people. Hell yes, yeah. you will. It's like you will breathe fire of course. all over, yeah, all over. And some, some earth will be scorched and sometimes some earth needs that to regrow. And, 
and some, it just kills it forever. So That's great. What a good analogy. But I will say this is my final piece of wisdom on this. Okay. The people who show up are the right people, even if they aren't the people you wanted there. So true. If the people who are, who are there, they are the right people. And like, I know we're all like fourth grade girls looking around our birthday party being like, why isn't Kristen here? And it's like, no, 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 no. Because Emily's here. That's right. And Emily was the right That's person. That's right. That's it. I'm experiencing that in my life right now. In the past few months, thousands of small businesses have been able to keep running while avoiding crowds at the post office, thanks to stamps.com. My own small business is one of them because we use stamps.com every single month to send out boxes for the Gin Hatmaker Book Club. So stamps.com brings all the mailing and shipping services you need right to your very own computer. Like no matter where you are, you can print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail for anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just leave it for your mail carrier and schedule a pickup or drop it in the mailbox. It really is that simple. Plus, with stamps.com, you get great discounts too. You get five cents off every stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates with the U.S. Postal Service and UPS. It's a lot. So, I mean, stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and it saves you money. So right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment at all. So just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in for the love. Okay, so that's stamps.com and enter for the love. Okay, back to our show. Okay, I'm going to ask you, uh, our book club sent in a billion questions for you. Fortunately for you, I culled them. And so I picked a couple. Everybody had a lot. It's just, as you know, you know this now because you've put your story out into the world with such transparency and tenderness. It's so easy to connect to. And so unfortunately, we're all like, same, same, me too. Same, same. Whenever someone's like, I liked your book. I'm like, oh, sorry. Oh, totally. Oh, I'm so oh sorry. I oh, wish why? it was confusing to you. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. wow, this feels real sad. I don't even know about it. Here's a question from Karen White. She asked, what was the best part about writing this book? And what was the hardest part about writing it? The best part about writing this book was that I felt like, I'm going to quote Chanel Miller. <laughs> Here. She wrote Know My Name, and she wrote this cartoon of her being on uh, 60 Minutes and then being like, how did it feel to write this book? And her thought bubble being like, like taking a giant emotional dump. Lovely. <laughs> but her being like, lovely. It felt yeah. wonderful. Um, but it did, I felt like I had reorganized even my thoughts around this whole experience, which were so rooted in shame, which is something that I still feel because I am alive and Aaron is not. I have this, right? Like I have this career that I didn't, you know, people are like, how do you get published? I'm like, you write a viral obituary. I don't know, you know? And it's like, so did I just cheat my way to the top? Did I cheat my way to the lower middle? Like, did I, did I, I don't know, but it's like, and oh God, like who deserves like to get like two big loves. Like nobody gets what they deserve. Like nobody gets what they deserve. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. We say that to our kids when they get a, a weirdly shaped cookie. Well, guess what? We need to hear it ourselves too. So I think personally it helped me work through a lot of the thoughts that felt too tangly to express to the people who cared about me. And also I felt like, and all of my work is an act of either aggression or passive aggression. I felt like I was giving other people and I, you telling me it resonated with people does mean so much to me because I felt like I was giving people who were going through something proof. Like you are not, you are not nuts. Totally. And I was hoping people who have had a perfect life would read it and be like, Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe I need to think a little bit differently about the way that I'm interacting with a friend or a family member who is suffering. That's so great. So having children, I do struggle with like, what are the things that, because we all need to know, right? Everybody's like, how do I do a family? How do I do a family that doesn't look exactly like what I thought a family looked like? I don't know. 
I don't know. And we have like these wonderful examples. We have Glennon and Abby and they get along so well. And for most people, it really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're right. Like they're, they have like this super human, beautiful family. And I know it took work to get there. And I take a, so much inspiration from following them and from watching Abby be a stepmom who is also just a mom, like just a mom. And like there are certain parts of the story that you can't tell because they aren't yours. Like they just aren't yours. So like there are additional complications that are just not mine to tell. Of course there are. And, and never will be. And that part is so hard because I know that would be really helpful for people. It'd be really helpful for people. And also I can't do it. I can't do it. Mm. And also I have to think about these kids. They will eventually read my writing. My daughter said, it's not for me, uh, but my niece read <laughs> it and was like, <laughs> my niece read it. And she actually said, huh, pretty Look good. What you can do. Okay. 14 year old goth. Look, take it. Pretty good. Maybe take it. Pretty good. Pretty good. So yeah. that is the hard yeah. part is like, I know that there are more questions. I know that there's more that people need to know that they want to know. And it's also like, it's just not mine. It's just not uh, mine. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's another question. This is from Shelly Radcliffe. What's your advice for people supporting a grieving friend? You mentioned this just a second ago. Yes. Oh, bless. What a wonderful question. Thank you for asking this because it requires so much humility from you because you are going to do something and you won't hear back. You're going to do something. They won't like it. You're going to do something and you're going to, you're going to send a text that will never get a reply. And then you're going to internalize it and be like, well, they hate me now. They don't need me. They do need you. You just keep showing up. Ugh, this is so good, Nora. You just keep doing it. You keep doing things. And, and some of them are the wrong thing. And some of them are, you know, neutral. And so one will be the right thing. And you just keep doing things. Whatever, there's a Venn diagram of whatever you can do and whatever you will do. And, and in there, you just keep doing those things. So you don't rewire their, their electrical if that's not something you can do. <laughs> Okay. You don't, you don't shovel if you've got a bad back, but if what you can do is every single day, you send them a text that's a reminder of a good thing about them that you admire. If every single day you send them a song that made you, made you think of them. If every single week you send them a gift card to go buy something that they don't need. Okay. (laughs) You do that. Whatever is in your wheelhouse and that you will do without expectation without expectation of acknowledgement and and with like truly that you would do with no one even knowing it was you you do that I've never really heard anybody say that and now that I'm sitting in deeply in the pocket of this grief space I spend so much time once every few days trying to dig out of my text and be like I'm sorry for the delay I'm sorry I didn't you know what I mean Cause that's what I'm worried about. Like they're going to think, well, I did call, I did call or I did text her, but she didn't respond, but I'm just can't like, I just, so that is in, I've literally never heard anybody say that, like love them how you can without expectations. Well, that's just, we'll just just end it right there. Okay. One more question and then we'll wrap. Debbie West said, when you are tired and you've shoveled grace all day and just, that's the end of it. What's your go-to dinner? Food is a comfort, as we know. I hate dinner so much. Okay, dinner is like the most stressful. (laughs) I want a snack. I want a snack dinner. That's the answer to you. Okay. applaud this. Okay, we do this thing called summer sushi. And by that, I mean, it's just sliced up cheeses. (laughs) It is sliced up fruits, sliced up hot dogs, cooked and uncooked because our children are garbage. Uh, Like hunks of bread, butter, dips. And then everybody just eats the snacks that they want to eat. Popcorn. Actually, I would take for dinner a giant on the stove. Oh, like fashioned. You know, whirly pop. There you. Thing of popcorn with like a whole stick of butter melted over it. I basically want to eat a stick of butter with some popcorn floating (laughs) in it. That's it. That's it. I don't want to eat a single vegetable. I don't want the meal to be balanced in any way. No lean proteins. no lean, uh-huh. There will be no lean proteins, but I do. I have actually started to cook anything that you post on Instagram because it's very helpful. And guess what? Guess who's pickling? I'm so happy. This lady. 
I'm I'm a pickler. Look at you. Okay. Look at what you're doing. I'm pickling everything. I didn't even know you could pickle carrots. Yeah. It was. Aren't I was like, you can only pickle pickles. And they belong They're on the so summer sushi fun. board. Like, put your pickled carrots right there. Make a convert as long as, as, long as you can to the, yes, to the world they, of pickles. World of pickles. I didn't even know you could pickle all these things. So wonderful. Yeah, we'll add some pickles to the summer sushi. But yeah, I want I want snacks. I want hardcore snacks makes me all the time. And and super fatty, too. Like, if anybody gives me, like, oh, I made this dip with, like, fat-free yogurt, I want you to leave my home. This is a friend deal breaker. Bye. This is a, yeah. Why would you abuse me in this manner? Why would I want your low fat? No, 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 no. I haven't bought anything that's low fat in, I don't even, a decade? Good. Good. A, a decade? Scam. We have like Instacart. Do you have that up there? You know, where you can get your grocery shopper? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so when I get something like yogurt or ricotta or just whatever, I go into the little place where I can make a special note. And I'm like, be very careful not to get low fat or fat free. Like, please check it twice. Cause that's just sad. That's just, sad. don't make me sad today. Like Linda, like get me what I want here. Like one time my coffee creamer, which is trash. It's, it's just can't, it's just, it's the chemicals that you just drink every morning, but it came in like fat free. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just pour it down the drain. No, if I'm adding a somewhat cancerous flavor to my coffee, I would like all the fat in it. Please, please let it take, you. taste please sincerely you. like coconut. Okay, so don't, yes. don't mess with me. I want to invite you to something you're going to love. The Jen Hatmaker Book Club. This is the kindest, most supportive community you could possibly imagine. We have local chapters all over the U.S. who love and support each other through all kinds of stuff, way beyond even the incredible books we read. And I just think we could probably all use a little extra love, a little extra sisterhood in 2020. I know I'm right. So here's the lowdown on the Jen Hatmaker Book Club. Every month, we'll dive into a fantastic book, something I have personally picked out and I know that you'll love. We read all kinds of stuff, all sorts of genres. The only requirement is that it has inspired me and I think it's going to do the same for you. So after you sign up every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats that trade out every single month. Plus your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like a reading plan and weekly summaries and discussion questions like beautiful digital resources. Plus you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You have access to our private Facebook group where you connect with me and all the fellow members. It's so fun over there. That is the most fun corner of the internet. Then there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes surprise guests. I'm constantly changing that up. And spoiler alert, sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters. Plus, we do some really cool stuff with the book's author for that month. The authors curate these incredible Spotify playlists for us. Plus, I record a podcast with that month's author, and we talk about the book. And I ask them questions from the book club and tell them what we thought and what we discussed. It's just, it's just a wonderful way to cap the month off. And so we're having the time of our life in this community. And because this has been such a nurturing place, our October gift in the book box is going to be an extra special friendship gift from me to you, because I am so grateful for every one of you. So sign up today at jinhatmakerbookclub.com. Registration to join us for the October book ends on September 5th. But if you're listening after September 5th, here's the thing. Still sign up. Join us. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. Join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. Okay, last here. Obviously... Writers are readers. You're a reader. What are you reading right now? What do you love? What do you? What book are you enjoying? What author is like your summer space? Hold on, I've got a couple that I actually am like. I need your address because I'm putting them in the mail oh, for you. Okay. okay, so I've got a couple that are just like go tos. One is Felicity Mary, oh, Oliver. Mary Oliver. This is a weeper. Oh. It is a weeper. Oh, okay. A weeper. And I've also been reading. It's not historical fiction, but it's like historical nonfiction is what I've been. Okay, so I just read Empty Mansions because it's about an eccentric billionaire 
from the 20s who who died very recently at like age 103 in New York City and who died with all of these empty mansions all over that she just bought and kept in like this meticulous shape. It's fascinating, fascinating, eccentric old lady. Yes, please. Oh yeah. Okay. Love it. I'm also buying books that are um, no longer necessarily books that are out of print or books that are like super, super old. Just find something that you're vaguely interested in and look about if there's a book about it, because I got very interested in televangelism. Didn't see this coming. Yeah. I got this book. PTL, the rise, the rise and Fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's Evangelical Empire. Fascinating. And then I went in and I bought every book that Tammy Faye Baker has ever No, you written. did not. So I'm on a deep, you did. deep rabbit hole of Tammy Faye Baker, who I did not know was from Minnesota. We don't claim her. And I find that to be a travesty because she did come from such crazy, humble beginnings. And guess what? Her husband was the crook. She was just sort of like along for the ride and like, you know, it's, I don't know. Just, I'm going to look forward to hearing a future report on your Tammy yes, Faye Baker yes, deep dive. Yes, yeah, I will. I have a, I have a vaguely Christian podcast called Cafeteria Christian where I'm going to do oh, this God. deep dive because, Finally. okay, this is a new one mm-hmm. that I got at the bookstore. Obviously it's called self-care. You will read it in one hour. Okay. It is light. So oh. you need to read this because it is a light and it's a satire and it's so funny. And it's just sort of about obviously a female self-care you know, hustle culture and being a girl boss. And okay. All yay, of that. Perfect. And it's amazing. Okay. Next, this comes out next month. And I read this in two hours the other night. It's called oh, Sanctuary great cover. by Paula Mendoza. Takes place in the near future. It is, I think, technically a YA, but that's the kinds of books we should all be writing. And it's a political story about a country, the United States, where all immigrants are microchipped and have to prove their their belongingness. And it's given me nightmares for two nights, but highly recommend. <laughs> so is that yes. a yes. highly recommend? It's such a good telling of like the anxiety that so many people feel. So you can tell that it's grounded in, in emotional reality, even though it is fiction, which I really love. This is the other book that I'm sending you, so don't buy it. Okay. Okay. Hema Children. When things fall apart, and I'm going to read this to everybody because, holy crap, everybody needs to hear this. Okay, so I have three passages, right? Things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. Wow. Oh, you think I'm done? Oh, I'm not done. When things fall apart and we're on the verge of we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize. Life is a good teacher and a good friend. I would like to just add, life is a a touch and go friend. (laughs) Okay. She's okay. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's She's all right. I've had better. (laughs) Okay. Things are always in transition. If we could only realize it, nothing ever sums itself up in the way that we like to dream about the off center in between state is the ideal situation, a situation in which we don't get caught and we can open our hearts and minds beyond limit to stay with that shakiness, to stay with a broken heart, with a rumbling stomach, with the feeling of hopelessness and wanting to get revenge that is the path of true awakening. Thank you for those readings. Those are powerful. Okay. Well, listen, on behalf of the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, big Nora fans up in here. Oh, God. Huge. Thank you. Monumental. Like, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Happy birthday to Aaron. Thank you. All right. Bye. Much love. Mm-hmm. 